The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Road Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome once again to Trip Talk, everyone. Glad to have you with us, as always. And a quick reminder, American Road Magazine is out with a fresh issue and always another one on the way. And this one, the summer issue, is Wide Open Spaces, Revisiting the Wild Frontier. Extraordinary photography to go with some great articles from well-known American road contributors and editors. Great stuff in there. And really kind of a tableau of America as well. The great heroes of America. David Crockett, we discussed him a few shows ago. And also Kit Carson is prominently presented in this issue. And all the places you can go to see where the icons of American history lived. And there's some great earth on show as well. American Road Magazine. I have my producer with me, Eric Ryder. Eric, today, I think maybe it would be great to go and find ourselves one of those shows in the past several weeks that people may have missed. We can join it in progress. We did have a guest in mind who, it turns out, is not available at this time. And yet, we've had some fantastic shows the last couple of months. We always try to do our best, but sometimes we feel like we get luckier than other times. <laughs> that's right. So, <laughs> that's the world of radio and <laughs> podcasting. So if there is one that you get to pick, this is dealer's choice today, Eric. Go ahead and pick one for our folks to listen to, and then I will try to reschedule the guest that we had, who is an expert on traveling with pets. That's an important topic. A lot of owning pets hinges on whether or not you can care for them, including on the road. So we thought that would be a good subject anytime for American Road readers and Trip Talk listeners. Absolutely. With that said, Eric, go ahead and find one, shuffle the deck and deal one, and enjoy, everybody. Okay, I think we're going to hear from Erica Nelson again, friend of the show. So enjoy. Welcome back. As we proceed with our show and our journey to Tulsa, we're accompanied by a thunderstorm in the area. So uh, it's going to make it a more dramatic show than usual. And as always, we are delighted to welcome Erica Nelson, an artist, educator, and one of America's foremost experts and speakers on the world's largest things. In addition to visiting communities with her own unique traveling museum, which acquired a permanent base in 2017, Erica is a consultant to cities seeking to create their own world's largest thing or roadside attraction to increase tourism, marketing and economic development for their community. When not on the road, Erica Nelson and the world's largest collection of the world's smallest versions of the world's largest things van can be found in Lucas, Kansas. Right now she's found on Trip Talk. Erica, welcome once again. It's always a pleasure to be here. And while we're still not able to take road trips ourselves, it's always good to have that sort of road trip of the mind. Absolutely. And you are number one at providing it. I have to confess, Erica, I do have this image in my head. Every now and again, I just have to chuckle because when there's something big going up, it's the uh, world's largest collection of the world's smallest versions of the world's largest things. I think maybe sometimes there's a bat signal that the commissioner has to flick on with a switch and then you are alerted to the fact that there's something new to explore. That's just my little fantasy. 
Well, it is a small world when it comes to world's largest. So anytime there's a murmur in the road matrix, um, people start uh, sending me articles saying, hey, did you know about this? Or, hey, I just saw uh, the bottom half of something interesting going up along Route 66. Do you know anything about it? So there is a network of people who do sort of feed into that, that little tingly, spidey sense of something big going on. And when you went to Tulsa, Oklahoma, not sure exactly when, you'll fill us in there, but there definitely was something big that speaks to the the mentality and the pride that people in Oklahoma take deep in oil country in a monumental way, no less. That's, that's right. Um, every region has their own sort of legends that really speak to the area, like Paul Bunyan's in any sort of Northwoods timberland, or Vulcan, the god of the forge, is over Birmingham, Alabama, talking about their iron industry. But for the oil industry, in addition to the oil derricks that you see peppering the landscape, the folks at the International Petroleum Expo, as it once was called, decided they needed a big gargantuan symbol of their industry. And that's when they came up with the Golden Driller. The Golden Driller, that bears some exploration, that's for sure. I would, it's one of those places kind of reminds me in a way of the Corn Palace in Mitchell, South Dakota. I actually went through Mitchell, South Dakota and didn't go. It was the second time around where I actually visited it. I don't think I'd make that mistake in Tulsa, nor would I necessarily be allowed to by the imposing structure itself, which seems to, to front some exposition grounds in an Art Deco style. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, and it was originally a pavilion just for the oil expo, but eventually it changed into the Tulsa State Fair. Not to be confused with the Oklahoma State Fair, but a state fair um, is a certain designation for certain city fairs that are big enough and grand enough and to merit that status. So there's a fair that gro goes on there, and it's not solely devoted to oil anymore, but out front, there is that giant, giant big marker man um, of the Golden Driller. So let's go for a full description. Take your time, all the time you need, Erica, to make us familiar with the Golden Driller, including the background of how he or it came to be. Well, um, as its name implies, it is golden, um, but it is a very stoic man form. Um, with one elbow on an oil derrick, uh, the other hand on his hip, and a giant Tulsa belt buckle. But he's a large, 76-foot-tall concrete form, and he's been there since, uh, since the very late 1950s. Um, there were a couple of versions before the solid one that's standing up there now, but the first couple of versions were temporary-only built to withstand maybe a, a couple of weeks at the oil expo. So when they decided to do the big, 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 big one, uh, they decided to make it right. So it's made out of concrete and steel. One of the contractors who was working on the job ended up being an unwitting model for it. And really? There's a really there, there was a really great interview with him on the 50th anniversary of the Golden Driller 
And he was like, well, no, I'm, I'm not a model. I just happened to be there wearing a hard hat. And he was a rugged figure that had that, that very stoic working man's face. And he ended up being the, the model for this very large, very golden, very stern form that fronts the, the Expo Center. Can you imagine being a guy on the job and they come in to ask you, they're doing a drawing, here's a rendering here, and stand over here, you know, and remain still. We're working on this thing. You can really help us out. And then you become iconic in your own right as the model for such a thing. Yeah, and that, that's one of those things that turns into family legend. Like, well, you know, Grandpa was the model for the gold, golden driller. Oh, no, he wasn't. But then you just whip out the newspaper articles and yeah that's it's how the ordinary becomes extraordinary i just got to throw this in i wonder if grandpa told him to leave a little more room in the crotch as i'm looking at this thing it's very <laughs> well, snug um, pants is, on this guy very, it, it is very stylized so there is um even though it was built in the 50s and 60s um, it, it is a very stylized Ken doll-like uh, form. <laughs> That's a good way of describing it. As I look at the picture, yes, absolutely. And in the current issue of American Road Magazine, that's exactly well, where you will find it, an article penned, of course, by Erica Nelson. There's a quote in here. In fact, you close your piece with it, Erica. You write that uh, this was an honor bestowed upon the Golden Driller's hard-hatted head in 1979, the distinctive designation of official state monument, actually. Back in 1979, that's an honor. And it's described, according to you, as an emblem of, quote, the men of the petroleum industry who, by their vision and daring, have created from God's abundance a better life for mankind, unquote. That says so much about the culture of Oklahoma and oil country generally, Erica, because there are a lot of places where if you were going to put up a monument, they're actually monuments unto themselves. You might have a wind farm with all those turbines going, and they're iconic in their own way, but not so much in oil country. Petroleum is still king. Yes, yes, it very much is. And while that quote is also from the 1970s, it's still um, it's still very current in the atmosphere in that oil drilling country. And then you blend in Route 66 with all of that wonderful Mother Road heritage, and you see that there is a mindset there is a kind of tableau of Americana in that section of the country. You write about the Golden Driller, and that is something fantastic to see. I think it would be wonderful to go through that exposition center because of the Art Deco architecture. I can't right now, I, I haven't seen a picture of it before, but I'm very curious as to what that might be like as an aesthetic experience. Well, and Tulsa as a whole has some really great Art Deco architecture, in addition to having so many parts and pieces from the original Route 66. Um, so any architectural tour of Tulsa is going to be full of those monuments. Uh, but the weird part is the Golden Driller doesn't end up being in a lot of those tour routes because it's just too, maybe too many blocks off of that route. But there's another lady who was so inspired by the Golden Driller and that nostalgia of Route 66 and the iconography along there that she decided she wanted to build 
a new icon for Route 66, also in Tulsa. Well, I would like to hear more about that. Sure. Um, it came to her. It came to her in a dream. No, it came to her on a road trip. Okay. Uh, and she was always fascinated by the Golden Driller growing up in that region. Her name is Mary Beth Babcock. And she had done a couple of small businesses before in that Route 66 area, but she wanted something that was really special and really talked about, again, that region and that specific road. So during one road trip, she started spotting muffler men. And for anybody who's familiar with sort of, again, the, the Ken dolls of the American road, muffler men are, were sort of mass produced, but there's one hand up, one hand down, large fiberglass form, holding a muffler often. She kept seeing these and she thought, hey, what if I had an altered version of one of those as a mascot and opened up a Route 66 curio shop? So she did a little research, got some artist friends involved, and they came up with Buck Adam, A-T-O-M. So you get this retro futuristic space cowboy that she wanted to build. And she went to an Oklahoma Route 66 convention and met the people who could make her dream come true. So last year, a new roadside attraction was erected not far from the Golden Driller. Uh, this wonderful big, uh, has a cowboy hat, but also has a space helmet holding a rocket muffler man for Buck Adams Route 66 curio shop. Buck Adams Custom Curios. That is a place I would love to see. If I were in Tulsa, I wouldn't leave town without visiting it. When you go through there, go ahead and tease us a little bit here, Erica. What are you likely to find there? And what will, what will capture your imagination? Um, at the shop or in Tulsa? I mean, both are fantastic. Oh, yes, but in the shop itself, if you're going looking for curios, it seems, uh, based on your wonderful article there, it's like the Golden Driller gets some respect in there. They throw him some love. Yeah, they finally have some souvenirs for one of the ones that really kicks it off for that area. So you can find a golden driller bobblehead or a, a belt buckle. Uh, for Buck Adams, she's gone the, the whole nine yards with artist proofs of just very limited edition statues of Buck Adams. But anything Route 66 that your little heart desires, it will be there. And um, she set it up in an old gas station. So she's really thought about every part of this Route 66 experience. So you, not only do you have the 20-foot um, cowboy retro-futuristic rocket man, you've got a Route 66 mural. She just got a, a neon 66 sign installed, and you have this lovely little 1950s, 60s gas station with glass windows that showcase all of these wonderful, glorious, kitschy, lovely things to help commemorate your trip through Tulsa. And to be clear, when we say Buck Adam, it's A-T-O-M, not Buck Adams, but Buck Adams, A-T-O-M. That's a, that is to hearken back to the era when nuclear power, nuclear energy was something new in the world. Yes. And she is so in love with all of this that um, even before she made her own, she once dressed up as a female golden driller 
to approach the city council for the idea of a new roadside attraction, to remind them that this is a history uh, with Tulsa, and building a new one would also honor those old ones that have been uh, maybe forgotten way markings uh, within that Route 66 culture. I'm telling you, Erica, if you wanted to do municipal or regional PR, this would be the lady you would want to hire. <laughs> that These are great ideas. You put it out there, you're willing to dress the part. That's fantastic. I also remember reading something, and I don't have all the details. Hopefully, you have more than me, Erica. And that is that she had a fundraising campaign for Buck Adams Curios because she wanted to make sure that it was, uh, if not restored so much or refurbished, but kept in the kind of shape that will make it a lasting legacy to maintain it well. And I think it was it a question like you could, you could buy tiles or buy something in a way that allowed you to commemorate yourself as well as Buck Adams Curios. Yeah, she sold bricks. So they're actually uh, surrounding the base of Buck Adams and I believe there's more underneath the sign. So. Anybody who bought a brick as a fundraiser now really is a part of paving the way for new appreciation. Now, see what I did there with that the, the dad joke? Paving I the way get it. <laughs> for to the future for more tourism. <laughs> That's a great idea, too. There's a I live in Sarasota, Florida. When you go out to Longboat Key nearby, next town over in one direction, you get to um, this place, the Moat Marine Aquarium, and they sold tiles. My partner bought one along with her mother many years ago, and you can go today, if you want to, bring some Windex and polish it up, and it's there so that you become a part of the creation and the aura of the place. And I see the same going on with Buck Adam. This is great because it's a form of citizen participation in a town or a region's heritage. Yeah, and it's, it's often that group effort that takes care of these things because many of them are built just by one person. Not far from Tulsa, there are two other really iconic ones that were built by individuals. Once those individuals passed, then they would start falling into decline. And it took groups of people interested in saving that specific wonderful little thing that really brought it back. And they have now also become icons of Route 66. And when you go to Tulsa then and you see other things, I heard something about a blue whale. What are a couple of the other places where you would go if you wanted to get the full panoply of all of this iconography, if that isn't too many words? Yeah, the blue whale is, is one of those that is really close by that, again, was built by an individual. Um, and this was... In, in the 1960s, they had uh, a little nature area, and they had a walk-through arc. Um, the arc was built in the 1970s. So they had a, a nature area, then this walk-through arc that was all embellished, but also housed live animals, and it was a couple of snake handlers. And then in the very early 1970s, um, the husband ended up deciding that he needed to build something really special for his wife. So Hugh Davis, he was the husband, decided that he needed to build a new icon, a new fun little thing. So he started bending together sucker rod, tying it 
and uh, forming out this big whale shape in the middle of their pond. And its jaw kind of comes up to the shore. So you actually enter the mouth of the whale, and there's a little ladder up its tail, and you can jump off of there into the pond. But he made that as a 34th wedding anniversary to his wife, Selta. So it's this sweet little construction. Um, he didn't know much about welding, so he actually had a neighbor come out there in a boat and weld the structure together, and then he finished it off with concrete and stucco. But that loving gesture to his wife was also built a little bit for tourism. The grandchildren had come out and play. But once that family was gone, there was nobody to take care of the whale until a local community group stepped up and said, hey, this is an important part of Route 66. It's an important part of how we grew up. So they banded together, that cleaned up everything, uh, refurbished the picnic area, and got a new coat of paint for the blue whale. And you can't jump off its tail anymore into the pond. I mean, you could, but they don't encourage that. But it was this lovely sort of sort of crude but smiling and welcoming thing that ended up being such a part of the traveling public's childhood that they couldn't see it go away. So you've got this legacy along that road of little homemade parks that were really built for people to stop and look and explore and create a memory. Erica, I think that underscores what is so important about what you do professionally, because when you look at America's desire, and really kind of it's a headlong rush with technology into the future, you have the interstate making Route 66 all but obsolete, at least decommissioned. And in the process, thank God for people like you who want to make sure that all of these places are chronicled and appreciated and visited because so much of what constitutes beautiful Americana, kitschy as it is, and that's part of the fun, it's paved over. I mean, a lot of this is torn down, it's paved over, or falls into neglect because you've got the uh, the American version of an autobahn <laughs> there blocks away so that most people don't even get off that exit to go and see what is right there in America's heartland to greet them and to show them what America was. And it's important that you do so much to make sure that people have access to this, and it starts with awareness. Yeah. Well, and I think that's something that um, this is a very trying time for everybody, especially for people who naturally go and explore. But it can be turned into an advantage of that remembering that it doesn't have to be so fast. It doesn't have to be a daily rat race. It can be a little slower, a little more enjoyable. And I'm hoping that while we've all had these couple months to stop, reevaluate what's important and what's not, we can remember that we don't have to pick the pace all the way back up to zooming interstates and um, and the big, bright, new, shiny things. We can take some turns back to nature, take some turns back to the local. And that is so important to do. In the case of Tulsa, 
you have plenty of places to stay. I think that's a lot of the problem, Erica, with some of the out-of-the-way places. You've got to go some to get there, and you may or may not have accommodations from which to choose. But in Tulsa, that doesn't seem like it would be much of a problem. And it's one of the places I've identified in America where it's pretty darn cheap to buy a gallon of gas if you're taking a road trip. That's true. All due to the oil industry commemorated right there in the heart with the golden driller. <laughs> you put a bow on that one. That was great, Erica. We have a couple of minutes left, so let me just ask you. I've always been curious about the means and methods from you. Now, of course, you know, we have this pandemic going on. People have been staying in place. How do you prepare for your next foray to explore these these pieces of American architecture and artwork? I mean, do you, do you kind of keep a schedule like I'm going to be in New Mexico here in a couple of months and I'm going to move up to Colorado? How does that work for you? Um, normally, that is sort of how it goes. I, I usually try to keep on the road about six months out of the year, either going to conferences or doing site-specific artworks, um, or uh, I also do restoration and preservation work, which are usually added on a site in sometimes some other state. This year's project is within this state. Um, so it's been a chance to stop for a bit, and most of those trips were canceled. I did sneak one in down to New Orleans, but I went over to Texas first and then came back through Arkansas, so it was this big rolling loop to get some more icons under my belt. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a time to reevaluate how those, how travel happens. Um so in the meantime, I've decided to focus a little bit more on the collection itself. So I've been photographing and filming some of the world's smallest versions and making little tiny video snippets that have the background of the world's largest thing and why it was made. And I've been doing that through our state's Humanities Council in this little We Wonders Road Trip video series that I'm releasing every Wednesday. I think people will enjoy it to a person. It's it's wonderful what you're doing, Erica. And let's go ahead and create a little space here as we close it out for today. Where can people find you? Facebook would be one, but your website, where can people get up close and personal with you if they're not in person with you? <laughs> well, uh, World's Largest Things is on Facebook. Uh, WorldsLargestThings.com is the old handy-dandy website, but uh, and you can also find World's Largest Things on Instagram. And all of those videos are being posted um, on the social media first, and then will eventually land on the website. But you can also pick up American Road, and I've usually got a column in there that will also talk about some of those World's Largest Things, which are the ones that I love. And that is going to be a reliable thing for a long time to come, I'm sure, because, in fact, you are a department editor for American Road Magazine. Always nice to have a title. Yeah, absolutely. Erica Nelson, thanks so much for joining us. Three, four times a year, we've got to have you on. We learn so much and have fun doing it, my friend. So stay safe and have a wonderful weekend and a wonderful time on your next adventure. I'm sure we'll hear all about it soon. Thank you so much for having me again. Always a pleasure.
And it's a pleasure to have you join us every episode of Trip Talk. Thanks for tuning in to American Roads Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview and enjoy the current issue of American Road. Until next week, drive safely and dream well.